Dr. Katrina Fury, a psychiatrist. And I'm Portia Pendleton, a licensed clinical social worker. And And this this is Analyze Scripts, a podcast where two shrinks analyze the depiction of mental health in movies and TV shows. Our hope is that you learn some legit info about mental Mm -hmm. health while feeling like you're chatting with your girlfriends. There is so much misinformation out there and it drives us nuts. And if someday we pay off our student loans or land a sponsorship, like with a lay flat airline or a major beauty brand, even better. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn and your DSM-5 and enjoy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. to another very special episode of Analyze Scripts um, because one of my favorite attendings and teachers from residency, Gila Kayum, is joining us once again um, to discuss the second Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, if you haven't listened to our last episode with Dr. Q, um, please you know go back in your feed a little bit to find our first episode about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because we're going to rebuild on that. Um, and just to remind you, so uh, Gila is the attending psychiatrist um, at the um, at Harvard. Basically, uh, she's the medical director of the Emergency Psychiatry Service and the director of the Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Fellowship Program. Um, she also remains on staff at Yale University, which is where I met her as my inpatient attending on the Child and Adolescent Unit. Um, so we love her because she's awesome and because she's so good at using fairy tales like Harry Potter to talk about development and themes about child and adolescent psychiatry. So we're just thrilled to have you back. No, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited that I get to do something that's dear to my heart and has fascinated me since I was in medical school so that I'm kind of giving my age away. That's when I read Harry Potter. Um, but to do it with some of my favorite people. So I think there's nothing better than that. 
Awesome. Well, so where do we get started, Portia? I don't know. I mean, they're back for year two, right? So I think the like the shock to Harry maybe isn't entirely over because there's like new monsters and people that he's meeting every year. But, you know, the fact that he there is magic out there. Um, I, I guess I would start with him returning home to the Dursleys, which uh-huh. I have never been happy about. Um, I think we learn later kind of why, but now I just, you know, seeing him being so mistreated um, and kind of right brought, brought all back with the trauma. Like here we are again, you know, you don't matter. Um, you know, Dudley is so amazing. Your parents were yeah. bad. It's like all these messages kind of return. So I think we should start there. I do think it's so realistic though, unfortunately, right. That like, Gosh, you know, Harry finally finds his place in Hogwarts and these people where he feels safe and loved and special. Mm -hmm. And what's awesome about Harry is the specialness isn't really what he loves the most, right? Like he's not, um, you know, like seeking that part out. He just likes feeling secure and loved. And now he has to go back for the summer to this abusive environment. And I just think like, unfortunately, that does mirror Mm -hmm. a lot of kids who are growing up in abusive households that you hope they have a place to go where they can see like the world won't always be like this, but he does have to go back and it totally sucks. Yeah. Um, It's like school, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think similarly, we see what happens in many abusive relationships. uh, Although this was not intentional and Dobby had a role to play in it, (laughs) is that you get cut off from your supportive relationships. Right. That, we're going to bolt your window. You're not going to do the things that bring you joy or magic is not uh, allowed. He, you know, your friends don't even care about you to write mm. to you. Um, and all those things that he felt like he got in the first uh, year were just suddenly taken away. And he sort of started believing it when he was like, maybe my friends won't come back or I'm right. on my own. And maybe why haven't they written to me? Yeah. A lot of yeah. self-doubt, a lot of like, he's still growing in confidence, still thinking about what is real and what's not. And I think the other thing which sort of contrasts is you go to the, the, Durs- the you know, the Dursleys um, and everything is so, you know, proper and everything has to be done this way. I will come and greet them. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I think one of the stark contrasts is we get introduced to the boroughs. Which is a whole different world, and it's still a family. Mm-hmm. And then it, it gives you a contrast of the sort of the, the orderliness, the rigidness, the regimentedness at Privet Drive. And then you go to the chaos of mm-hmm. Moros that is full of love and caring, mm-hmm. and yet it has room for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Each kid is different and accepted for being dragon trainers and whatever else that they're doing. Yeah. Um, they get, I think we talked a little about this in the last one where um, in such a big family, Ron's a little lost that his attachment style we talked about is a little like anxious. Um, he doesn't know if he'll get looked over uh, in all of this chaos, but there is, just so much, so much curiosity. I think that was one thing that is so starkly different between those two households, mm-hmm. where the adults in boroughs are fostering curiosity and modeling curiosity for their kids. Like, what is this function of this rubber duck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're so fascinated. And yet, 
there is no room for curiosity mm-hmm. or thought in private drive. And I Probably think that's different, yeah. Types of torture for mm-hmm. a young child. Yeah, totally. and, yeah, and I think even in maybe a more stable, non-abusive home, we see that, right? And kids who maybe their parents have high expectations for them or want them to turn into X, Y, or Z and don't leave room for the child's unique personality or individuality or interests, that can happen even if you're not being abused or neglected, right? Like Harry. So I thought that was also just a beautiful addition to the story that I think imagine like kids watching it, even adults watching it, it'll resonate with them. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's funny and, and a little like, well, what else is Mr. Dursley supposed to say when Harry's right has the cake and they, I mean, it looks like he's doing it and then it goes over, right? His client's wife. Um, and then he, right. He's like, Oh, you know, that's my nephew. He's very disturbed. We didn't want him, you know, coming down. And, and I mean, to non-magical people muggles, like, I think sometimes, right, what, what we don't know is scary or disturbing. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was like an interesting word choice. Um, Disturbed. It's like, I guess it, it fits, you know, from a muggle's perspective of what's going on. And then also just like they think he's disturbed and they think he's unwell and weird and crazy and bad, um, too. But I felt bad for Hedwig. This, you know, we talk usually about people, but being like stuck mm-hmm. in her little, um, you know, cage. cage not being allowed to be let out. Um, but yes, we are introduced to Dobby. And he doesn't seem so great at first, right? He's like all this mischievous stuff. He's this new creature. Um, and he's starting to, right? Like every time he says something not nice about his master or the family he works for, he kind of like self-harms, right? So he's like hitting mm-hmm. himself on the head with a lamp, uh, banging his hand down. And, and Harry's like, what are you doing? Like, stop, stop, stop. And I think it's so telling to Harry's right so kind and and nurturing just spirit that we see again through the rest of the movies especially with Dobby um that he's like he's like please stop like I like what are you doing please don't do this makes him uncomfortable yeah no but hmm. yeah I'm dying to hear what you think of Dobby Dr. Q um I, I think Dobby, and I think it evolves more over the next books and movies, is uh, I, I think this, I think it's a bigger question of representation of race and otherness mm-hmm. in the books because there's not a lot of focus on race per se, and yet there is in the pure bloods and the muggles right. and, you the know, the bloods. Um, and then there's, even the people who sort of are very thoughtful about mm-hmm. um, how Hagrid and um, the, the the Weasleys support um, muggle-born wizards and witches, there is, in, in wizarding families, there's this neglect and oversight of these elves. Mm-hmm. Like, right. they're non-existent and invisible. And I think we see in the future books, too, that there are characters who really take a lot of issue with um, sort of this thought about pure-bloodedness. Mm-hmm. And yet they're perfectly fine with elves working in their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think it's it's interesting that there there is even despite a lot of awareness, there's sort of blind spot that Hermione mm-hmm. picks up on later in the later books about these elves are being mistreated. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also you see someone 
being restricted in what they can do and genuinely care about someone and just how their methods are not helpful. <laughs> right. But that's such a great point. And I thought of that too in rewatching the movie again. And perhaps especially now that I'm older and in the times we're living in, it was such an interesting commentary on race and identity. That's like the whole plot of this movie, right? That, you know, Salazar Slytherin left this chamber of secrets with the basilisk that's meant to wipe out all the mudbloods, right? It's basically like the goal's genocide here, right? And we start to see like what characters are for this, which ones are against it, who is a mudblood. But even within that, exactly like what you're saying, there's this blind spot to the elves. And it's almost like, could be a parallel to what we might call these days, like microaggressions. Like even if you mean well, this stuff you've grown up with could still be, you know, deeper, deeply rooted and you got to open your eyes to it. And it's a, it's a really interesting way to start introducing that concept. Yeah. To little kids, you know, or, right. or anyone. But I think it's really fascinating in terms of storytelling and fairy tales, how this big, sometimes like, difficult topic is so is presented so well in this movie and it's yes. so clear and then you see or we see draco um seeing harry getting all this attention when he um lockhart right we'll talk about him um kind oh of my god i have so much stage. to say and draco's <laughs> so angry that mm-hmm. like you know how dare harry be getting all this attention like i'm a pureblood i've been taught that i should be right like on stage with lockhart why mm-hmm. aren't i and then you know then he's terrible to the Dursleys and then you see his dad walk in you're like oh well this is why but um you see and good acting I guess with Tom Felton like as a child but the rage he's so angry yeah right and we really get to meet or we start to meet the Malfoy family right we don't meet the mom yet whose name is Narcissa which I always think is interesting um, but again, Sheila, I'm dying to hear what you think about the depiction of the Malfoys mm-hmm. in this movie. I, I, well, it, it is actually, I'm really intrigued by that sort of dynamic because, um, I also think interesting I think given my own South Asian background, the whole, uh, colonialism and the British aristocracy and this sort of eliteness and classism that comes mm-hmm. in and sort of. If that's the norm, how awful not to feel special and right. yeah. for you mean for for Draco? Yes, like, right. <laughs> if, your, if this is part of your identity and this is what you've been brought up with, and then suddenly someone comes and challenges what you know, um, I think one of the most interesting things um, I, I was told about child development was if parents do it right. Every little child should have a little bit of narcissism going into school, um, knowing that they're special and that they're the kings and queens of their own little kingdom. Hmm. But then they come to school mm-hmm. and now they get balanced. Thrones. <laughs> and now you have to navigate um, other kings and queens. And right. I, and I kind of see that happening a little later for Draco. Um, we would expect that happening earlier in school age, but now he's sort of met someone who can actually, he can find threatening. And so it sounds like what you're saying too, is that, you know, hopefully if you have good enough parents, they've instilled that healthy degree of narcissism in you, right? Where you are confident, you do feel special, you feel unconditionally loved. 
And they're not the ones challenging it maybe at first, but then hopefully they can help you wrap your head around it and say like, you are, you know, the best to us and there's other people around and their needs matter too, right? Like you have to balance that with some like empathy, Mm -hmm. altruism, integrity. And it's when those things are out of balance that I think we start to see personality pathology either way, whether it's more the narcissistic way or it's more of the anxious, you know, avoidant kind of way. Yeah, no, that's true. Because we see it again later in the movie with Hermione and Draco when she's challenging him. A, she challenges him academically and she's, you know, a mud bud. But we also see her directly challenge him about his father buying the team all brooms and like, well, that's how you got in the team and Harry didn't need that. And he's, you know, like, how dare you call a call me out and like, you know, take my crown off my head and you're right. Like someone who I consider lesser. And I think then we see them really kind of throughout the movies, which we will cover, um, go head to head a lot, but I think he, she really grinds his gears, you know? And that scene. Yeah. That scene was hard to watch even now. And just, you could tell like the word mudblood is like a racial slur, you know, and and they were all just really shocked. He would even say it. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe they all kind of sense he thinks that, but then to be so, you know, just like willing to say it so Mm -hmm. aggressively and in such a mean way. And then you see Harry not really understand. Yeah. Which again, what a thoughtful way to introduce that concept, right? For for him as a real outsider, not to get it. And now like they're having to explain it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, again, really, I think mirrors like trying to start to explain hard facts about the reality of the world to small children as they start to see things and ask questions. And and I think that's actually one of the loveliest things about the the Harry Potter movies and books is that it parallels real life so well. Like these kind of growing pains and experiences are so normal for kids in schools. And it is developmentally appropriate. Like kids who have seen racism or racial slurs being modeled in their homes would have no qualms about saying it outside. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of where Draco is coming from Mm -hmm. is, we know that the father put the book in the cauldron. So he's been exposed to these. So it's not different for him, but for, like you said, for Harry, it's completely unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just how kids navigate this, like their, their groups and their rivalries and their exams and their classes. Mm -hmm. I think because it's so real, uh, close to real life that it really resonates with, it may be a different school, but A, it exists in our world, even if uh, it is magical. Um, But I think the relatability of all the the challenges that these kids are seeing and experiencing is just so relatable for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Even thinking of just being like silly and wanting a letter, like I don't don't think I wanted or thought that I would be in um, Narnia right? You were saying this before, um, Sheila, or, um, you know, I didn't think that I was going to be in the Lord of the Rings, but like, you, I feel like Harry Potter is so different because it is in the real world. Right. And I was like, well, maybe I could get a letter. Like, maybe like as a kid. Come. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I could go to this school. And I think, again, that resonates, and especially watching them grow up, like we all can reflect back on childhood moments and, and, and betrayals and friendships early on and, and, you know, kids being not so nice on the playground. It's like, that's all so real. And whether it's well, mm-hmm. do it playing Quidditch or playing soccer, it's like, it's the same feelings. Exactly. And it's interesting in Harry Potter, um, I think, Julie, you were saying this before we started recording a little bit, how, you know, the world of Hogwarts and magic is existing in parallel to reality or like the mudblood world. Um, And in this movie, we start to see what happens when these two worlds start to collide. And it's almost like an interesting metaphor maybe for what it's like for Harry to be going back and forth or maybe for any of them to go back and forth, but how, you know, dangerous it is to, you know, for, for other people to, to start to recognize that there is this magical world. It kind of reminds me of like how we talk about aliens, (laughs) you know, and like, (laughs) are they there? Are they not there? And just all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We'd probably think they were an alien, right? Someone doing magic. Mm-hmm. Or seeing a car flying yeah. through the <laughs> through the sky. Like seven muggles saw that. Yeah. How big a deal this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were, I'm assuming, right? Probably like obliviated, which makes me think of our dear friend, which I know Katrina, you are dying to talk about, Lockhart and his his best skill is apparently obliviating all these witches and wizards who he's stolen stories from to make him amazing. So Sheila, please, please share with us your deepest, darkest thoughts about him. (laughs) Well, I think when I first see him, the most interesting thing is just how in awe Hermione is and all the Mm -hmm. girls and the little ones. And when he comes to class, so I, I, you know, Gilderoy Lockhart aside, I thought it was just very interesting to see how in this book, uh, you see crushes develop a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even for Ron and Hermione, like at I the end, when you know she gets unpetrified, she goes yeah. and hugs Harry, but there's this awkwardness yes. between Ron and Hermione, which was really, really adorable. They just like shake hands. They're like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so cute. So I just felt like this was very interesting about um, narcissism and that we were thinking about narcissism. Uh, but really, Gildoria Lockhart is. And Classic. I remember um, there was one classification somewhere in one of the papers about different types of narcissists. Um, and there was the exhibitionistic narcissist, uh, which was all about, look at me, I'm performing. Um, so I kind of see him that way. Um, 100%. But also you see the compensatory narcissism of, I'm not good enough, so how can I make myself be more likable, more inflated, more worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly he's not, he, he can't even do simple <laughs> dueling spells. No. Right, right. It's okay. Right. Well, well, if I, I could have stopped you if I wanted to, but for, and for the instruct purpose of instruction, like, you know, I, I chose not to, it's like, right. But like, honestly though, what a classic narcissistic defense, right? Like, that's exactly what someone with these traits or full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, that's exactly how they would respond, right? Oh, yeah. And the fact that in the film, he is so 
handsome and showy and there's a big crowd and he again he can only associate with Harry Potter right with like other fancy special people not Draco even he's not special enough you know it's just like so on point um and then when we learn that actually it's all a big farce actually he's been stealing other people's ideas and then obliviating their minds that's like the ultimate <laughs> gaslighting right? Like, it's just so perfect. I just loved the depiction of this. You know, as we keep doing this podcast, we keep talking about narcissism so much. And I'm like, am I like, why are we seeing this everywhere? But we really are seeing it in so much different types of media. Um, And this was just such a good spot on, I thought, representation of it. And even like the common defense mechanisms and the inner wound, it was just perfect. Perfect. And the most, uh, I, I thought, cute part was when he gets obliviated himself. <laughs> He's so nice. I know. <laughs> Imagine someone without that narcissism. If you take that away from him, he was lovely. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's so interesting, right, that it's like children who are taking it away from him, right, mm-hmm. who can finally, like, challenge him. And I think that does maybe even speak to, you know, there's always good inside, I hope. Maybe. Yeah. You see, I think the, like the the I don't want to say like the the good side of narcissism. You see the the likable side of narcissism through the whole movie and you're like, "Oh, well, it's not that bad." But then when he, you know, you all of a sudden it's like his mask comes off when he's yes. about to obliviate them, you know, right. and like take credit and it's like it's so it's so ugly and different from before just, you know, being like showy and and you know, acting almost and then ooh, like there it is like there's the the calculated you know Mm -hmm. kind of manipulative um place that i don't know you don't see exploitative side exactly yes and that's the side that i think people who are in relationships with people with narcissistic traits see that other people on the outside don't see and i'm sure in all of There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Our work, we have worked with children, adolescents, adults who are coping with and trying to process the pain of that, right? Because then it's not just, you know, when you're relating to someone like that, you, I mean, they manipulate you to start doubting your own sense of them and sense of reality. Then you start doubting it. And then it's like everyone around you unwittingly contributes to that because they don't see the real person, right? So again, just like mwah, beautiful <laughs> representation of that. Um, and I think it also points to the difference between adults and children in this, how they approach it. Because you see Snape, 
he knew what this guy was about. But mm -hmm. I mean, he did his way of sort of showing what it was like, but he never confronted him. Mm -hmm. And then you say McGonagall going and say, time has come for you to do what you're best at, right? And then he tries <laughs> to run away. But none of the adults, even if they know what he's about, confronted him. Mm. Kind of played along. And I think that is also very relevant to people that you are around who might have narcissism and people just tend to appease them and work with them because what else are you going to do? And yet they can't yeah. have anything to lose and they were able to call him out. Right. And maybe even building on that, that's so fascinating. I think it also speaks to the danger in confronting someone with these traits. And I would say he also has some sociopathic traits, perhaps if you're going to like obliviate children for your own gain, like there's a danger that comes with confronting someone like this, right? It's going to provoke what we call a narcissistic injury or narcissistic yeah. rage. Sometimes all that means is they yell at you or they stonewall you. They never talk to you again, but sometimes they could actually hurt you. Like we see here where he's then going to obliviate all of them. And maybe Snape and McGonagall as adults with fully developed, you know, frontal lobes, somewhere in there appreciate that. So they know how to toe the line, but children don't, right? Especially maybe at their age, they're still coping with, I would think like that very rigid sense of right and wrong. Yes. And maybe they're struggling to see like, well, why don't you understand this is wrong? So stop doing it. But that's very, that can be dangerous to confront mm -hmm. people like this. Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that Dumbledore, who's like, kind of, to me, like all knowing, it mm -hmm. goes along with it. And I think the other professors like take their cues from him. And I wonder mm -hmm. if Dumbledore, like in that moment was like, you know, leave or we're done with you. I think the other professors would have like jumped on and, and been like, yes, like we don't like you or you're a fraud. But he, mm -hmm. he like had a very interesting, you know, he was just, he like didn't really say anything. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, and he's powerful and certainly more powerful and, and is the person that I think could absolutely like, you know, send him on his way without really repercussions. Um, and he didn't. He and also probably hired him. Yeah. Were they desperate? Maybe that position, right? It's cursed. Yeah, and and Lockhart probably thought, well, I could do it because I'm the best that there ever was. And I could imagine we've come to find out, I don't think we know it yet, but how much Snape wants it. Mm -hmm. And I bet there's some tension there with Dumbledore not letting him take it. Mm -hmm. You know, we see that's that tension with Snape come out with every single defense against the dark arts teacher over time. True. And then to Dumbledore's point, you know, there was a lot more stuff happening that I think he was tied up in. With yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like the children getting hurt. Hagrid, you know, being sent to Azkaban. <laughs> and, um, his own position being threatened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing. Um, I, I draw the parallel of Lockhart's, uh, you know, popularity to social media, which is like, you know, if someone this popular says something about you at this juncture, you're, <laughs> um, it's going to really impact your credibility because um, you have so many followers. <laughs> True. Oh, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I thought um, the supporting characters in this movie 
were all so fascinating in their own ways. Like we've talked about some of them already. Dobby, Lockhart, the Malfoy family. Um, I also want to make sure we leave time to talk about Moaning Myrtle, mm-hmm. Fox, the Phoenix, and Tom Riddle. Um, but before we get there, Gila, I was hoping you could speak more to the father-son dynamic between mm-hmm. Draco and Lucius Malfoy. And again, I think probably, you know, it's probably intentional that they're both, you know, white, blonde, British men, right? As you're speaking to these cultural and racial differences, like perfect casting. Uh, It was lovely. uh, I think the way they selected both of them and sort of mouth, you know, Lucius's haughtiness and arrogance that comes through. Uh, But it also shows you his narcissism. Like the minute he finds that he was scammed by Harry for Dobby, his wand comes out. There's that narcissistic injury. There's it is. You took something from me without my permission. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have this underlying dynamic of the Slytherin family, their sort of loyalty to Salazar Slytherin, Voldemort, you know, being mm-hmm. uh, Slytherin's heir who had opened the Chamber of Secrets. It is all this loyalty and alliance. And the way Mm -hmm. I would see that dynamic of it is something like father-son passed on. Mm -hmm. I think in the later books, you also see the tension the the Malfoy parents have in trying to keep their son safe. Yeah, The dilemma is that they're sort of poor Draco is put in and this challenging situations that they are sort of stuck with this alliance that they formed. Mm -hmm. Um, I I also sort of draw the parallel of these are sort of the the loyalties and uh, belonging that people form to different groups that families mm-hmm. then sort of inherit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, the, the very poignant quotes I, I once read was that we're, when we're born, we're giving, given our name, an identity, a religion, a race, um, and we spend our whole lives trying to defend them. Mm-hmm. And we chose none of it. Um, that's, that's so powerful and so true. I was just thinking too, like gender, even in this yeah, day. And age. Exactly. Like, and, and you have no control or choice in the matter. So there is a lot of, I think, modeling for, mm. for Draco from Lucius. Um, but I think later on, maybe not in this book, you kind of see their struggles of mm. trying to know that your son belongs in this circle and how are you going to keep him safe knowing it's dangerous and all those things can be potentially fatal for him. Yeah. Um, And I think similarly with Voldemort and Salazar Slytherin, that whole thing about true blood and belonging to, uh, you know, the the true blood family. Similarly, Salazar Slytherin created the Chamber of Secrets for that reason. All of that just points towards this sort of propagation Mm-hmm. And yet it is very covert. It is hidden. Mm-hmm. It is done on the sides, um, which is just such a lovely parallel to what happens um, mm-hmm. with, with racism that, yes, when you give it permission, it becomes very overt. And yet there are so many people who have it um, and maybe are just acculturated and uh, this is their norm um, mm-hmm. that they don't realize it. 
Um, and when given the opportunity, it comes up, but in other circumstances, it's very, very hidden. Mm-hmm. And-, and even like, it's just such a beautiful visual representation of that, right? Like even the fact that it's like in the bathroom, right? Like you can turn on the faucet and it'll flood or you can turn it off. It can trickle or you can go down the tube, right? It's just, it's so beautifully, masterfully done. Mm -hmm. What do we think about snakes, right? And like the symbolism of just like the monster being a snake, um, the symbol and Harry being able to talk to snakes, Harry, and then in book one we see that right right away, kind of with him hearing at the zoo, at the zoo, yeah. and the, I don't know, I think that, it's a good good it's a good animal that they chose. Yeah, right, because snakes are kind of like some people. A lot of people are scared of them. They're slimy. They're slithery. They kind of catch you by surprise. They can bite you and hurt you. Sometimes they're totally harmless. Mm-hmm. Um, a quote that really stuck out to me in this movie was when Hermione told Harry, hearing voices no one else can hear isn't a good sign, even in the wizarding world. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Which is why I think that's the parallel of how close to reality that whole place is. Mm-hmm. Right. But imagine like, hearing them, right? Like Harry, I mean, like all of a sudden you're hearing like this, this whooshing through the wall and then you're hearing this voice and everyone else is just like, what are you talking about? I mean, right. what a challenging ordeal to go through. And then, you know, it, it is real, right? Like that, which it's kind of like, thank goodness. Um, Cause then there's maybe other concerns going on if it's not, but um, that's hard, you know, shouldering again. It's like, he's out on this Island, right? He's Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. He's unique. And now it's again, like this, this thing that makes this- him unique, not really in a good way in this movie. scary way and I, I think we start to see him grappling with the good and bad dark parts of himself which it seems like he shares with Voldemort yeah right and we start to see like that inner tension he has like should I been a Slytherin am I a Gryffindor as if it's so black or white we start to see that such a beautiful representation and, yeah. and I think similarly to your point like snakes I know from a psychodynamic perspective have a very different meaning mm-hmm. but um, I think the one thing about it is that the places they can penetrate and go. And I think that was with the, the basilisk that you have Hogwarts, the safe space of, you know, mm-hmm. this is where magic is. This is sort of this magic central uh, for education and learning. And yet it is penetrated by evil forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, from mm-hmm. And they're lurking. Uh, they're again in the shadows. I think that's the <laughs> thing about snakes. It's like they hide in dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's this whole veil of, um, I read an article about this veil of concealment um, and deceit and deception that is very prevalent throughout all of the uh, Chamber of Secrets because it's a Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> so Right, it's in the name. So, so literally. The deception, like... Um, um, the, the, the diary deceives Jenny, mm-hmm. um, and sort of the, it also kind of speaks to the power of words, um, mm-hmm. which can really influence people. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the deception with the polyjuice, uh, <laughs> that they're able to get some information, but they have to conceal and, you know, deceive concealment under the, clo- uh, the cl- invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and concealment in a way of like Gilderoy Lockhart uh, concealing his real identity and the truth about himself. So a lot of general themes about deception and concealment. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the, the sort of the symbolism of the snake is also uh, in the Garden of Eden about deception. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of different themes and motifs and parallels around that. But to your point about um, the the sort of ambivalence around your identity and belonging, and I think uh, between him and Voldemort, the the core of uh, the ones are the same. Right. They are both parcel mouth. Uh, they are both like uh, raised somewhat by muggles. Mm-hmm. He was in an orphanage. Um, he was with the Dursleys. Uh, mm-hmm. So very similar life experiences that they start showing to where uh, Dumbledore will say that it's the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. Uh, that make all the difference. Um, right. and you can see that all the, with all these similarities, you can actually show kids and adults that really just because we say someone had a very different upbringing or a difficult start or has certain traits, it's not a life sentence. Right. And what a beautiful message to give that even if the things are against you and you have seen other role models or people that you sort of can identify with have very different paths that are not ideal, you can still carve a different one with the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. so beautiful. And I think it's so important. Um, I'd imagine, especially when you're working with kids and adolescents who are coming from difficult backgrounds, whatever they might be, even adults, but I think maybe especially when you're still forming your identity to know that like you don't have to follow this path. You can make different choices. Mm-hmm. Um And that, you know, even though there might be parts of you that remind you of, I'm just thinking about like a parent, maybe an abusive parent, um, or you get angry and lash out, that doesn't mean you're just like them. And I think that's something that's so painful for people to process and and work through when they're trying to recover from an upbringing like that. And I think that also speaks to corrective parenting. Like you have Mm -hmm. this McGonagall and Dumbledore uh, parental in a way. Uh, that is a very stark contrast to Molly Weasley and mm-hmm. also Petunia Dursley and Uncle Vernon, where um, when um, they think they're going to get expelled and uh, Professor McGonagall's response is, I'm, you're not getting expelled, but I must impress upon you the seriousness of what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they mm-hmm. are really the sort of the modeling of good parenting of, they're not, they are trying to protect their kids, but they are not fighting their fights for them. Mm. Um, they are not going and intervening in every conflict. Uh, they are giving them their space to have their own adventures, come to their own conclusions, figure things out, mm-hmm. um, but still being sort of neutral, supportive, guiding, wise but they don't give the kids the answers. Mm-hmm. Right. And still loved, you know, it's like, I think I, I wish that we got a little window into where, when Ginny, I'm assuming like goes and meets her family or maybe sees her parents after the chamber. Um, and just mm-hmm. like, I would imagine the support that she receives because she goes on to be a, appearingly a secure person. Um and I think it's even thinking of the buildup before, like I'm sure she's 
felt loved and um and important in in the way that she can with so many siblings and she's the only girl that yeah. um she she's okay even though dealing with this traumatic experience and and mm-hmm. and having this like relationship with Tom Riddle right for almost the whole school year where she's writing and 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 just thinking about all I'm just so curious about how that affected her and yeah. you know and, and why she was so susceptible to it you know I think mm-hmm. like she got this special book and finally she had her own thing and this person you know wanted to talk to her and of course for her you know I think it's yes. just like a smart match which Lucius, I'm sure, knew. Yes, he did. These people can sniff it out, I always say. Yeah. And it also kind of sees, sort of parallels how Draco is trying to put Harry and Hermione down, how Lucius was trying to put the Weasleys down by sort of planting that book. And he knew he would get Arthur Weasley into trouble because of all of this. And that was sort of the goal of. If if Jenny gets into trouble, so there's bigger bigger players, and yet you have the little ones who have to go through these experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, like you said, very covert and sort of maybe playing like a long game, yeah. and using the children really as pawns in his own game, which is pretty nasty. Yeah, right in line with narcissism. Of course, <laughs> that was a big right in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, before we wrap up, Gila, I'm also dying to hear what you think about Moaning Myrtle, who's oh, yeah. one of my, like, favorite oh. characters of all time. <laughs> love Moaning Myrtle. Love her. I just love the morbidity. Like, I mm-hmm. was in my cubicle thinking of death. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it's like, I don't know if you saw um, the Barbie movie that came out last summer um, when they're all, did you see yes. it? Yes. When they're all dancing and she's like, y'all ever think about dying? And everyone's like, <laughs> we can't go there, you know? Um, but but what I took from Morning Myrtle was um, sort of this invisibility of not being seen mm-hmm. even after death. Like, mm-hmm. you'll just come and throw another book at me. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine the distress in which she died. Hmm. She was crying like she she didn't even see who it was because mm-hmm. she was crying mm-hmm. and she was distraught <laughs> um and and just how lonely she is in um in that bathroom that she says if you die I'll, I'll give I'll, you can come to my bathroom <laughs> yeah and so different from like nearly headless Nick who's also a ghost and walking around but like almost revered right or like he's like the crazy one who's like up to no good like it's like and she's just you know in her bathroom being sad but I I really do want to say Harry's response and I caught it this time that I watched it with my you know mental health cap on Ron is like ew and Harry's like okay sure Myrtle like that's great and he's just so kind and like so sweet I just I don't know it's amazing resilient and I think he can tolerate that because he knows what that feels like right like he just naturally i think will be more open to that maybe not even realize it's a strength yeah the the rejection the isolation and i think it's just such a close parallel to to kids who are being bullied Mm -hmm. in school who go and hide in the bathrooms and yeah i mean it's just so real uh, but it also kind of tells you that that is such a impressionable time in someone's life 
that these insults, she could not get over them after death even. So Hmm. that was part of her sadness and the persona she carried was she wasn't seen. Hmm. Or if she was, it was not in a very positive way. And that those words really leave a mark Mm. indefinitely in her case. Yeah. It's sad. Again, but an important message for kids to learn, Mm. you know, maybe like as you're watching the movie. The kindness. And and also I think that's the other theme that comes up through the movie where you talked about Hermione sort of standing up to Draco is that kids facing bullying. How do you do that? How do you stand Mm -hmm. up? Um, when to walk away versus when to actually address it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all they're just beautifully highlighted in a very subtle way, but it is mm-hmm. modeling for kids that, yes, and this is one adverse outcome. And yet here are some good, strong role models for you to see mm-hmm. who are going to come across that bully. Mm-hmm. I think even, you know, a good role model for parents, you know, as I'm watching it now as a parent, like with my children who are younger than these, these kids in the movie, but are already starting to face some of these issues. Like, you know, we don't live in an ideal world where you can just, you know, resolve conflict with your words alone, or there's always an adult around who can intervene. Like, yes, that's the hope. But when it's not, you have to start talking to your kids about, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And those are hard conversations to yeah. have as a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're good at it, Dr. Fury. Yes. Oh, I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> Come back in uh, about 15 years. We'll see how everything's going. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we wrap up, are there any other, you know, lingering thoughts or themes we want to make sure we address? Mm-hmm. I think the only other one on my mind was Fox the Phoenix and how um, I'm going to call her a she. I don't remember yeah. Fox's gender. It doesn't really matter, <laughs> but I've decided it's a girl like us. Uh, how she saves the day, mm-hmm. you know. And Harry being a true Gryffindor, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Dumbledore kind of reminds him of with the sword. And then you called Fox, which means you must have been, I think it's like true of heart or, you know, you are putting yourself before someone else's needs, you know, to save them. And, you know, thank goodness for Dumbledore, because I think he really anchored Harry. And like, I did make the choice, right, to be in um, Gryffindor. I asked the hat and he was like, that's, you know, that that's the difference, which we mentioned before about the importance of our choices, despite, you know, right. what's sometimes in our environments or sometimes traits that we might have. Um, and, and Fox is just, you know, I love that they grow old and kind of like turn into ash and Harry's like, Oh my gosh, like what's ah! happening? And then the little, you know, out of, out of death and, and darkness comes life and good things. And rebirth. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Thanks for reminding us of that. That's a better way to end than exactly some sadness. (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think too, just again, this movie and all of Harry Potter really touches on the good and bad parts in all of us, Mm -hmm. like, right. How we all have good and bad parts and, and that's okay. And that sometimes, you know, like if you look up the traits of a Slytherin or a Gryffindor, which I did, you know, so Slytherin, they say, you know, ambition, resourcefulness, determination, cleverness, that all sounds great when you channel it in the right way, but you could see how you could channel it in this sort of elitist, 
villainous way that Salazar Slytherin and some others have sort of evolved into. And, and same thing with Gryffindor, you know, bravery, honor, loyalty, boldness, again, channel it in a good way, or you, you could kind of become reckless, self-righteous, have a short temper, always want to be the hero that can get you into trouble sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, the sort of, it's like a double-sided sword. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, where it could be good or bad, depending on how you channel it. Mm-hmm. And again, that speaks to the choices that we make and yeah. so important yeah. for kids to hear. And I think, you know, I heard a quote somewhere, I'm going to butcher it now, probably where, you know, I think, you know, like we're not responsible for the trauma we might be born into or grow up in, but we are responsible for then kind of what we do with it Mm -hmm. and how to move forward. And that's a really important point. I think we all probably use in our work with people and maybe just as, as humans (laughs) walking Mm -hmm. the earth. Exactly. Um, And I I just think, you know, to, to your point, um, the, the fact um, well, I, I'll say two things. One is like, not all Slytherins are bad, right? Um, which is, I think something Harry bought into when he was like, please don't put me in Slytherin when he was under the sorting hat. But really, I think that to your point, one of the biggest things about the, the loyalty, the sacrifice, and I think that was one of the things that throughout the whole series helped Harry differentiate himself from Voldemort is the sense of love we've internalized. Mm-hmm. which is so important for kids and us as adults and human beings is to know we were loved, even if the, our parents are not around, even mm-hmm. if those people who loved us are not in our lives, just that sense of being loved can really change the life of a human being, mm-hmm. uh, which is something Voldemort did not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that just helps anchor him into, yes, if I was loved, I can sacrifice my love for others. I can be loyal to others. And right. um, and I think every child just wants to belong. Of course. To belong to Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah. And I think Harry, you know, although he lost his parents so early, I think it's deep down, he knows he was loved and he's constantly told that yes. over and over, right? About his life story. So even though he didn't have it for very long, somewhere in there, he knows it and he's reminded of that, mm-hmm. which is so important for kids. Yeah. And when you don't have it, you're really vulnerable mm-hmm. to nefarious people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. What a great day way to start my day. <laughs> yeah, this is just such a treat. Thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us, Sheila. Uh, we love you uh, for all the reasons. Um, and I guess, you know, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram? Sure. It's uh, Z-H-E-E-Q-U-E. And um, hope to be part of these in the future. Oh my gosh. Yes. We would love to have this you back Harry for Potter the next journey. Book. Yes. Yeah. We're on a journey too. <laughs> Um, and again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, you can find us at Analyze Scripts Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and on YouTube now if you want to watch this episode. And we will see you again next Monday for our next episode. Great. Bye. All right. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast and its contents are a copyright of analyzed scripts, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Unless you want to share it with your friends and rate, review, and subscribe, that's fine. All stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.